Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. This sermon series is called Uncovering Religion. We live in a day where the world is saturated with contradictory faiths and beliefs. Can they all be right? Are they all wrong? As Christians, it is imperative that we understand something of what these religions teach and believe so that we can accurately discern right from wrong. To Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Does that sound like today? Look, I believe that we are seeing these days now when men will gather around themselves great numbers of teachers from different religions and different viewpoints and philosophies that will say the things that they want to hear. There are a great number of teachers even in the church, as well as, of course, outside the church, who will tell people exactly what they want to hear. Many will hear some good moral teaching among these teachers. You do hear uh, what I call partial truth. You will receive partial truth from these ministers. They'll draw a person in with these partial truths of their religions and beliefs and they will slowly indoctrinate them in. Then when they will reveal their real beliefs of their faith, at that point, at a later date when they reveal that, the person will receive these beliefs without question. So a tr partial truth is really no truth at all. It is as what I call sugar-coated poison. That's all it is. It's got the poison inside, sugar on the outside, tastes really nice, but when you swallow it, it's very bad, very bad for you. <clears throat> Pastor Joe Schimmel said, Works before God do not earn us favour with God, and most humans miss the mark. Most humans don't comprehend that we don't earn God's favour. Almost every religion in the world besides Christianity teaches that you earn God's favour. Nearly every other religion besides Christianity teaches that you earn God's favour. In Hinduism, you work your way off the karmic wheel. There's a karmic wheel that goes round and round, and eventually, if you're good enough, you work your way off it. In Islam, you have the five pillars of faith. In Buddhism, you have the eightfold path, which I'm going to be talking about today. You have all these ways, a stairway to heaven, that you have to climb. You have to go step by step by step to get there. You then end up earning favour with the gods of those specific religions. That's what they believe. However, Buddhists don't even believe in God. They're atheists. Now, some people try to tell you they're not. I'll explain. <coughs> I'll explain that in a minute. In my opinion, religion is the work of Satan. Religion is Satan's attempt to keep mankind from discovering Christ and his salvation from sin by his blood that was shed on the cross. That's all it's trying to do. Religion is trying to deter us from the truth, keep us from finding Jesus. And that's why there are so many religions today on this planet. It's Satan has mixed it all up. And so people now say to you, when you say you believe in Christianity, they'll go, why do you think that's right and everyone else is wrong? So that's why I'm doing this series, because I'm going to expose why everything else is wrong. Very clearly. Religion causes men to strive to be worthy of heaven or some kind of euphoric state, as Buddhists call nirvana, by the means of self-effort alone. Not godly help, self-effort. 
To live under religion is to live under a heavy yoke of bondage. We will never be good enough, clean enough, worthy enough, holy enough, peaceful enough, sinless enough to be worthy of heaven. Is that right? It is by the blood of Christ alone that we gain access into the kingdom of God. We cannot enter heaven in our own name, simply, because our own name is stained and corrupted with sin. When God sees our name, it's like, oh, it's filthy. Give me a better name than that. We enter heaven in the only name that all heavenly hosts bow to, and that is the name of Jesus. Did you know that demons bow to Jesus? In the Bible, what would the demonically possessed men do when Jesus appeared in, the, in cemeteries where they were getting held by chains and that they would even break over that strong? They would run up to him and bow before him. They knew who he was. That's why they could say he's the son of God. We know, please don't cast us out or cast us at least into those pigs. Mm. <laughs> Can't be in a human, put me in the pig. Just in relation to that, if you went into a bank and you grabbed one of your own checks and you wrote $1 million and went in, put it at the thing, would they cash that check in? Would they give you a million bucks? I'm saying all of us here. Has anyone got a million dollars in the bank? Put your hand up. I want to know. <laughs> they wouldn't because we don't have a million dollars in the bank, do we? What about if Rupert Murdoch gave you a check and his name was on there and said, and it said a million dollars. Yeah. Well, what would you do? You would go into the bank and the bank would honour that mm. check, wouldn't they? Because it's in his name that you, you can draw the money in his name. This is the same in heaven. We want to get in. We can't come in with our own check because our own check doesn't have a million dollars in it. We've sinned. It's corrupt. God, look at that. <laughs> you can't afford it. You need a lot more than that to get in here, buddy. But if we have Jesus' check, he gave it to us, put that at the door, God will say, yeah, I honour that. I honour that. It's probably a blank check. <laughs> we can write as much as we want. In that sense, in the blank check thing, we can draw as much as we want to from Jesus. You know, some people will get into heaven and they'll be paupers. Literally get there and think we had the riches of Christ available to us our whole life and we get in here, we get into the gates of heaven and we come as paupers because we never activated it, never lived it, never believed it fully. Why this series? I've decided to do this series for a very real reason. Many Christians are extremely ignorant of the religions of this world. Is that right? Yeah. Due to this ignorance, many have been deceived by these religions and lured away from Christ. Many fall into New Age cults because they say Christ and they oh yeah, I'm a Christ believer. Step in and after a period of time, they're believing they are a Christ, you know. A lot of Christians will even try to tell you that our God is the same God as the God of the Muslims. Many very powerful and influential Christians have been deceived by these religions. Men like Rick Warren, who, was, who has been named the pastor of America, have signed documents and professed to have found common ground with the religion of Islam. Did you know that? Joe Schimmel wrote, and this is true because I've seen it, it's all over the uh, YouTube if you want to Google it, YouTube it. Even more chilling is the fact that over 300 prominent Christian leaders signed a letter issued by the Yale Center 
for faith and culture, claiming that world peace is dependent upon Muslims and Christians recognizing Allah and Yahweh as the same God. This letter titled Loving God and Neighbor Together was written and, and in response to a signed document by 138 Muslim leaders. And this, it was titled, A Common Word Between Us and You. McLaren, Rick Warren, Robert Schuller, Bill Hybels, these are some of the biggest names in the charismatic Christian world in America, were just several of the signatories to, to this outright betrayal of Christ. Over 300 prominent Christian leaders signed this document. That Allah and Yahweh are the same. Hang on. Allah doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a Holy Spirit. He's not a trinity. How did they sign that? They don't believe in Christ. They don't believe he was the son of God. How did they sign that? These are learned men that don't understand the religion of Islam. Robert Schuller has even found common ground with New Age cult gurus such as Jerry Jampolsky, Neil Donald Walsh and Bernie Siegel, and has had a few of them teach on his TV broadcast from his Crystal Cathedral. So he has New Age gurus coming on there talking about the spiritual Christ, like the, that you become Christ, you ascend, and you can even become get beyond Christ. Christ was just a, a, an ascended guru from the past. Robert Schuller is now at the forefront of unifying Christianity and Spiritism, two diametrically opposing viewpoints. These Christian leaders have so little discernment that they cannot tell the difference between our God and the gods of other religions. If some of the biggest Christian leaders in the world have been lured away from the purity of devotion to Christ, then we should not assume that we won't fall into this same delusion. In an effort to keep you all on this path, and the path of Christ, uh, and also those listening on the internet, I will continue to uncover the religions of this world, exposing their belief systems. This is important stuff, guys. This is really important. Studying these religions help us to be able to accurately discern truth from lies, to get a deeper appreciation for the solidness and the soundness of our faith in the living Christ in comparison to the flimsiness and the harshness of those other religions and belief systems. It will also help us in witnessing the people who are in bondage to these beliefs. So it's important that we understand this. Today I'm going to talk about Buddhism. Buddhism is a Dharmic religion of around 376 million followers worldwide. Dharma is an Indian spiritual and religious term that means one's righteous duty or any virtuous path. Any good path that you can go on is a dharmic path. Buddhism is a breakaway sect of Hinduism, much like Jainism and Sikhism. It's a breakaway sect. Many of the early teachings of Buddhism that eventually became doctrines began as a direct contradiction to Hinduism. The Hindu Brahmins deemed Buddha an atheist because he supposedly did not believe in the Hindu divas. Early teachings of Buddha were, very, uh, were definitely atheistic, but polytheism in Buddhism emerged later. People say, oh no, Buddhists, Buddhists believe in, in gods, polytheistic gods. No, the original Buddha did not believe. He was diametrically opposed to it. And then later, as the centuries rolled by, they brought it back in, which is the Hindu beliefs. So they now look to the divas and things like that as well, which are the sacred writings of Hinduism. 
History of Buddhism. It was founded in the 6th century before Christ. Buddhism evolved out of a dissatisfaction with Hinduism's vague philosophical roots and unsatisfying goals and its endless karmic curse of births and rebirths. Buddha was over that. He didn't like that. He thought up a new way of doing things pretty well. (laughs) The religious philosophy of Buddhism was created by its founder, a young prince, Siddhartha Gautama. Gautama was born in around 560 BC and was the son of a Raja, an influential ruler in northeastern India, near the modern-day border between India and Nepal. Gautama's mother died a week after he was born. Sounds a little bit like uh, Muhammad. Buddhist tradition teaches that before she died, she gave a prophecy about the newborn boy. The prophecy stipulated that if he stayed home, the boy would grow up to be a wise and just king. But if he left home, he would become the saviour of humanity. Gautama's father decided to protect the boy from the outside world in in response to that prophecy and kept him uh, from seeing any pain, disease or suffering. So his father built a wall because he was a very influential ruler. He had the money. He built a wall that kept his son away from the rest of the village. Buddhism teaches that until he was 29 years old, Gautama was a peaceful and a very privileged young man. During the first three decades of his life, Gautama had his four visions. Four times one of his servants left the gate open, the gate to this walled-in palace or whatever it was. The first time he saw someone who was, when the gate was left open, he saw someone who was sick. This confused him as he had never seen a sick person. The second time he saw a poor person begging on the street, he had never seen poverty before. The third time he saw an old man, and this disturbed him because he had never encountered the deterioration of age. The fourth time he saw a dead man. This ultimately caused him to reevaluate his Hinduism, which taught that evil was just an illusion. That's one of the teachings of Hinduism, by the way, I didn't bring up last week, that evil is an illusion. So he left his home, his wife and his son, and wandered the region as an ascetic. An ascetic is someone who uh, brings severe self-discipline upon themselves and restrains themselves from all sorts of self-indulgence. Buddhism called this time in his life the Great Renunciation. A renunciation in this context means to formally reject a belief. So he re- renounced everything that he had grown up to believe. Tradition teaches that for six years, Gautama ate only as much rice as would fit into the palm of his hand a day, hoping to receive holy knowledge. Through the whole period, he took less and less food and water until it is said he ate scarcely more than one grain of rice or a sesame seed each day. So through the whole period, uh, he got obviously hungrier and hungrier, Gautama grew thinner and thinner. Now, this is six years, mind you. This is according to Buddhist tradition. So he grew thinner and thinner in body and fainter in strength until one day he was slowly walking about and meditating. His vital force suddenly left him and he fell to the ground unconscious. So the thought came to him that knowledge could never be reached by mere fasting and bodily suffering but must be gained by the opening of the mind. 
So he had just barely escaped death through self-starvation, yet had not obtained the perfect wisdom. So he decided to eat, that he might live at least long enough to become wise. <laughs> so these are the teachings of Buddhism. The key teachings of nearly all Buddhists are A, the Four Noble Truths, B is the Eightfold Path, C is the impermanence and ultimate non-existence of all dharmas. And dharmas are things and events. So everything does not exist to a Buddhist. And also D, the need for enlightenment in one form or another. So they all, everyone needs enlightenment. And I believe everyone needs enlightenment. But the right enlightenment. Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. For example... This is some of his teachings. That was in the last teachings of Buddha, which was a book written by Buko Dendo Kayoko. Buddha taught, This whole world of delusion is nothing but a shadow caused by the mind. There is no world outside the mind. To Buddha, there is no world outside the mind. Things have no reality in themselves. They are like heat haze. You know when you see heat haze? It looks like there's something there, but it's not really there. When you're looking for water in the desert. <laughs> Mirage, yeah. Every individual is an illusion. And even one's own self should be considered an enemy, something to be destroyed because it perpetuates suffering. Right? These are the deep teachings of Buddhism. The Four Noble Truths, in brief, they are all life involves suffering. Suffering is caused by desire, which is selfish cravings. Three, desire can be overcome. Four, the means to overcome desire is the Eightfold Path. So, thanks for the Four Noble Truths. You know, <laughs> let's get straight to the Eightfold Path. Okay. So the Eightfold Path is this. Consider the proper or correct exercise of eight conditions that aim at delivering desire and hence suffering. So these are the, the Eightfold Path's points. And they include one is right vision. So they have the right knowledge, right views of life is right vision. The right conception, the way we see things and what we aspire to. Three is correct speech or right speech. Four is right behavior and conduct. Five is right livelihood. Six is right effort. Seven is the right concentration or mindfulness. Eight is right contemplation or meditation. So as I said earlier, partial truth will always seem good and right on the outset. The partial truth will never find the whole truth, which is Christ himself. The whole truth is Christ himself. So all those things seem good, don't they? You know, it's good to have right, live the right way and behave the right way and speak the right way and think the right way. These are all good things, aren't they, on the surface? These eight requirements must be interpreted, however, from a Buddhist perspective, not a Christian or Western perspective. You could use those eightfold path from a Christian perspective and get a lot from it. You could do the eight correct ways of living the Christian life and those could be the points from a Christian perspective. But you do it from a Buddhist perspective, it's a very different thing. It has very distinct implications. For example, right concentration or mindfulness in the sense of awareness of one's own actions, awareness of how you act, is achieved by occult meditation, often leading to states of trance and or psychic powers and spirit contact. So it has little to do with the study of scriptures as when we meditate in Christianity. We meditate on the scriptures and we meditate on the word of God and on Jesus. It's a very different way of, of thinking. <coughs> the belief systems of Buddhism. The Buddha considered belief in a God and morality to be delusive and a harmful belief. 
He argued, it is no wonder the people holding these conceptions lose hope and neglect efforts to act wisely and avoid evil. So he's saying if you believe in a God, you, will act, you won't act wisely and you won't avoid evil. It's a pretty dramatic statement. Early Buddhism was largely atheistic, but polytheistic belief emerged later. For the Buddha, the essential problem of humanity was not really one of sin or rebellion against God, as Christianity teaches, it was suffering and misery. Because we suffer and because people become miserable through their suffering, that's the problem. But how could suffering be alleviated? How does Buddhism attempt to do that? After much contemplation, he received the alleged enlightenment, and this was where the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path came from. From a Christian perspective, Gautama attempted to find a solution to the symptoms of the problem, which is the result of the problem, instead of the basic underlying problem itself. So in Christianity, suffering and misery in life are caused largely by sin and rebellion against God. Is that right? Buddha, however, tried to deal with the symptoms but never discovered the root cause. Thus, Buddhism attempts to find nirvana, which is a transcendent state in which there is neither suffering, desire, nor sense of self, and the subject is released from the effects of karma. If you find nirvana, karma can't get you anymore, and you're released from those cycles of births and rebirths. Nirvana is really the heavenly state of a Buddhist, but it is not a place where God has created for those who love him. So it's a heavenly state, it's a heavier state of mind, but it's not a place that God has created for us, as Christians believe. In an effort to achieve nirvana, the Buddhist has to work their way through self-discipline and righteousness. But as we know, our God is a perfect and just God who does not accept sinful humans into heaven. Now, if a Buddhist has been bad in their life, just say a Buddhist in a, um, before they became Buddhist killed someone, then they become Buddhists. Does that mean, mean they're suddenly not guilty for the sin of murder? No. They haven't even asked for forgiveness. They haven't even repented to God. So they have to carry that burden of knowing that they've murdered and then try to correct that sin of murder by doing good things from then on for the rest of their life so that they can say, I'm a good man now. But all those good works will never take away the sin of murder. Only the blood of Jesus can take away the sin of murder because you've got to get forgiveness from God. You may not forget it from men. <laughs> you know, they find a Buddhist who's been in a Buddhist temple for 20 years after he committed murder. They will still drag him off to prison regardless of the good things that he's done, won't they? Man, manly court will just drag you away. <laughs> We've got you. Can't hide from us in Nepal. The moment a human sins, according to God's definition of sin, that human has broken the whole of the law and is deserving of death. Thus, God had to send his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but receive eternal, everlasting life in heaven. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus laid his life down, was so that this guilt that men carry can be forgiven. And so you can stand confidently before God knowing you've been forgiven. A Buddhist does not understand that all their good works is as filthy rags before God. And a Buddhist, like every other soul on earth, needs the grace of salvation that only Jesus could give by his death on the cross. Buddhism is filled with contradictions. Buddhism teaches reincarnation but denies the soul. So what reincarnates? 
By definition, sense perceptions do not exist in nirvana. So what exists to perceive nirvana? Mm. How do you know you're in nirvana if you have no sense of being in nirvana? Okay, without a soul, what permanently exists to perceive suffering in life? If you don't have a soul, because they don't believe in a soul, they only believe in a mind. The spiritually enlightened Buddhists vowed to delay entering nirvana to work for enlightenment of all beings, fully knowing that such beings never exist to begin with. So why do they do it? Would such enlightened beings sacrifice their nirvana for an illusion that doesn't exist? Does that make sense? That's a contradiction. If we don't really exist, why even worry about any kind of morally righteous path at all? If what they say is true, why even do good works? Why not just enjoy life? Well, it's, it's like atheists when they start to um, preach morals. It's like... Yeah, why they worry? <laughs> to survive. Mate, if you can kill a hundred men, you're fitter than them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why even worry about it? Dawkins, Ten Commandments. Yeah. Why be morally, morally correct when you don't have to face a god? And if you die, you just become nothing anyway. Yeah, that's, it, it's just contradictory. And they don't see it, though. This is the unfortunate thing. If this is the case, if we don't really exist, if it's all an illusion, we should just do as we want. For there is no reason why we shouldn't. There is no God to judge us, no consequences for bad actions, except being reincarnated into a lower life form. Big deal. You know, how many people would like to be reincarnated as a cat in a lovely home, you know, <laughs> sitting by the fire all day in, in winter? Not in this house. Poor little Eddie has to face all the torments of the Tommies around here. Just built. The sacred writings and sex. Another problem with Buddhism is no one is certain of what true Buddhism really is. Buddha's words were never recorded. So no one knows if what we have is his genuine words or not. Many Buddhist scholars have confessed that they don't, do not know what the original gospel of Buddhism was. This is an extreme dilemma for Buddhism. The earliest Buddhist texts came hundreds of years after Buddha, unlike the New Testament texts which came within the lifetimes of the disciples. Our gospels were written in the lifetimes of the disciples, so we know we have a genuine article. The main writings used are the Theravada canon, which is used by the Theravada Buddhists. Uh, the Mahayana branch of Buddhism has its own scriptures under the same name. And there are also the Vajrayana Buddhism, or Zen Buddhism, which is largely concerned with magic and was popularized by D.T. Suzuki and his writings. And D.T. Suzuki grew up in the town of Honda. There's a contradiction. Suzuki and a Honda? It's just, anyway, we thought that was funny, didn't we? Yeah. Buddhism in the West. <laughs> Buddhism has become extremely popular in the West due to its absence of a deity, of a god. Buddhism seems to be acceptable to atheists and agnostics, spiritualists, etc., as a spiritual philosophy which can instill both ethics and discipline into their daily life. Uh, because Buddhism is an undogmatic faith and, and Undogmatic means not laying down principles as undeniably true. So they're not saying, this is it. They're saying, this is sort of it. <laughs> but, yeah, that sounds pretty good too. Buddhism appeals to an age which is comfortable with constructing its own religious paths from a variety of sources. So people, they get, oh, I'll be a bit of a Buddhist, I'll be a bit of a Hindu, I'll be a bit of a Muslim, and I'll claim to be Christian, and then I'll get into Spiritism, and 
mix them all together and I'm this complete... Mm, I'm my own. I'm my own thing. Yeah. So Buddhism can be drawn from and added to the life of a person who wants to have a sense of being spiritual, yet not have to yield to a holy God and change their ways. So the most effective way to present the gospel to a Buddhist is to show evil as something that a Buddhist is unable to resolve. How are you going to deal with this evil? How do you deal with it? But it's still there. It's still there. It's not going to go away. So what we've got to present to them is that evil and sin was atoned for by Christ on the cross. That's where sin and evil has been dealt with. The Buddhist believes in evil and Christians can illustrate the hopelessness of attempting to rid oneself of sin by human effort. We've got to present that it's hopeless to try to do it all by yourself because it's never going to be atoned for. You're never going to be just before a holy God. So showing in scriptures that Jesus Christ's conquest over sin, his conquest over the devil, hell and death is a popular way of bringing Buddhists to faith in Christ. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Their whole thing is dealing with, dealing with evil in the world. But they, in, the, in their own power, cannot deal with it. No Buddhist philosophy has yet dealt with it. Only one person, and he had to be God, dealt with it. And that's when you can present the gospel to them. And it's sort of, it, it would be like, you know, the most amazing thing to hear. That sin has been dealt with, and I, the works that I have to do to get to heaven are not going to get me to heaven. So all I have to do is worship him and trust in him. And he will then outwork in me good things, righteous things, by the Holy Spirit who enables me to live righteously. You know, that is a mind blow for, for Buddhists. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, thank you for, the, for opening up Buddhism to us today. And uh, Lord, I just pray for the Buddhists in the world, Lord, who are just going around and around in their... Uh, um, their karmic will, as it were, and, and trying to deal with sin in their own power and their own strength. And Lord, we know that this is a futile attempt because the author of sin is much greater than their ability to cope with. And Lord, we know that you conquered sin and you conquered death. You conquered the devil and you hold the keys to both hell and Hades. And Lord, that you... Uh, what you open, no one can shut, and what you shut, no one can open. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, I pray that Buddhists will find you and be released from their, their spiritual struggle that they're uh, facing every single day and find hope in you and the grace of salvation. And I pray this in your wonderful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>